Mr. Harlow, I uh, mean no disrespect, but uh, what are we doing here? Ha <laughs> ha! The dragon is sound asleep atop the largest pile of treasure any of us has ever seen, and it is ours for the taking. Now, let us go over the plan once more. Genny, tie one end of this rope to a rock, and the other end to my arrow, and I shoot it to Damien. Ha <laughs> ha! Very good! Damien! Then I take that rope that is tied to that arrow, and I pull it with all my might, so that fearsome dragon may trip over his tippy toes. Ha <laughs> ha! Yes, very good. Brutus. If that dragon opens his eyes, I swing my axe at him like this! Whoa! Save it for the dragon, Brutus. Gimli. I believe I'll be taking this magical gray sticky tape, wrapping it around the dragon's snout. So he doesn't get a chance to burn us to a crisp. Ha <laughs> ha! Very well. Um, wizard? I haven't named you now. That's right. Goofy, yes? It's pronounced Gouflet. I will cast a portal to funnel as much gold as I can into the next chamber. Ha <laughs> ha! Yes, very good, Goopy. It's Gouflet. Rick! Well... I'm a little confused about my role in all this. As I figure it, I wear this dragon costume, then put on a chainmail bikini over that, then beckon the dragon? Yes, that's it. Yanni! I get on the beast back and stab him with my steely knives until the bastard's no more. Now, Yanni, we went over this a million times. All right, I... I play alluring music in my hurdy-gurdy to put the dragon in the mood. Carlo, I'm supposed to, like, watch the exorcist and stuff, but, like, that's, you know, kind of stupid. What I was thinking is, like, take two swords in each hand and, like, spin around like a tornado. You know what? I love it! Take some swords from the sword pile. Okay, pretty good. Hoo-wee! Enough talk! When we gonna get in there and get that precious gold? I told you already, old-timer. You don't get a share until you tell me your name. My apologies, Mr. Harlow, sir. Me and my grandpappy here are still trying to work out what his name is. We're somewhere in the J's. Enrique! No need to worry about me. I know exactly what my marks are, and I will be... Magnifico. That doesn't really ease my mind. But your confidence is overwhelming. And I'll mesmerize him with my amazing juggling! Hoo-hoo! Let's go! Who the hell is that? He's not with us! Stop him! He's going to ruin everything!
Pleasure doing business with you two mooks. <laughs> now, do me a favor and get the fuck out of my furnished basement. Don't be like that, my cello. Ain't there something in the scripture about not cleaning out your cousins? Hey, you and I both know that ain't in the good book, Francis. And what's the number one rule in my furnished basement? Don't put your empties on the air hockey table. No, you simp. No blasphemy in the furnished basement. Thank you, Paolo. All right, you crybabies. Want to win some of your money back? So what are we playing? Crazy Eights. Can you believe this, Focaccia? Crazy Eights, Jesu Cristo. Would you put the cards down for a minute? I got something that's been on my mind that I just got to get off my chest, you know? It's producing a lump in my throat. My, my heart is heavy over this. My palms are sweaty. I... I I got butterflies in my stomach just trying to bring this up. Your mind, your chest, your throat, your stomach. What is, uh, Vinny Del Pino coming over for dinner? What am I, fucking Doogie Howser MD over here? Turn your fucking head and cough. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a regular Dr. Matlock over here. Hey, Matlock was a friggin' attorney, you dumb prick. Let Paolo speak. I was just giving him the business with a timely pop culture reference. But he knows I love him. Like you would a cousin from a marriage. Jesu Cristo, you're going to make me all emotional. Like, what are you trying to do to me, Em? All right, I haven't got all day here, Ms. Manelli. Spit it out. Okay. Well, I was watching Entertainment Tonight with my lovely wife, Puala, the other evening. Hey. Is she breaking your balls, Paolo? <laughs> nah, 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 nah. It ain't like that. Just listen, okay? So, we were watching Mary Hart doing this feature thing on the new Mario movie. Oh! You both know I'm very excited about this picture. I believe this will be monumental for our people. Mark my words. See, that's the thing, Marcello. There's a dark cloud hovering like over the property now and you're gonna spit out your bellini when you find out who they cast as super mario uh, let me think here uh, bah, 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 bah. leonardo dicaprio nah father guido sarducci nah nah well it's gotta be the great michael imperioli nah geppetto that's a cartoon numbnuts pacino nah so tony danza nah nicholas capola who okay his baloney show business name is Nick Cage. Sorry, nah. Well, JC and a cross, just say the thespian's name already. You're not gonna like it. I swear to baby Jesus, Paolo. Tell me the name of the actor who voices Super Mario before I smack you back to 1996. All right, all right, all right, I'll tell you. Hold up. I am rather parched. Just need a sip of my Bellini. I wouldn't do that if I were you, Marcello. I think I can hold down my Bellini, Paolo. It's Chris Perrette. <laughs> the kid from Mouse Rat? God damn it, Francis. Get the fuck. Ah, it's not worth it, Pratt. Unless his great-grandpa dropped a few vowels off at Ellis Island. I gotta say, I got, I got some, I got... I got some problems with this casting decision. Hey, Marcello, ain't he French-Canadian or something? My blood hasn't boiled like this since I tried the so-called traded Giuseppe's Arancini. A disgrace. Nobody named Giuseppe will put their name 
on such a spazzatura. A disgrace. You already said that, Francis. What's wrong with you? I know. I just wanted to make sure you guys heard me voice my concerns. All right. We heard you already. All right. This Pratt. Maybe I'm overreacting here. He's a good Catholic boy, right? I went on Paula's iPod Touch and punched up his name on Bada Bing. I did my research, and he's affiliated with something called the Hillsong Church. And they don't like the gays, Marcello. There's no Saint Sing Song. I don't get it. What is that? Not only is he a confirmed Catholic, mind you, I was at his Holy Communion. Super Mario is a friend to every race, creed, and people of all sexual orientations. One thing I know for sure, the real Super Mario ain't no bigot. I don't know if I could deal with any more heartbreak today, but you gotta tell us. Who in Townsworth's name is playing Brother Luigi? Charlie Day? Well, that is surprisingly copacetic with me. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of cooled off when I heard that one. But he's no Paisano. I don't know. Fist fight? Horrible bosses too? <sighs> little motherfucker makes me laugh. Hey, hey! What did I say about that kind of language? Jesu Cristo, put the cards away! Give me those empties! Cigars! Quickly, Paolo, dump the remnants of my Bellini into that ficus over there. What do you got going on down here, Marcello? A meeting of the Do-Nothing Dumbass Society? Oh, I thought you were at your senior Sicilian Tai Chi class, ma. Eh, that Daniela has a tone that I don't like. I told her she should try harder to reach into her inner space. That ignorant whore. Well, we were just having a nice little chat down here. About the good book. Chat my ass. You're drinking, you're smoking, you're gambling, just like your father. God rest his soul. You break my heart each and every day, Marcello, you disrespectful son of a bitch. Son of a bitch, huh? Accurate. She's accurate. Ah, jump in a lake. Uh, Mrs. Fazuli, we were just about to play a game of Crazy Eights, and, 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 and for only for the love of the game. No Daenerys exchanging hands. Why don't you join us? Why don't you shut the fuck up about the crazy eights focaccia? What did I say about language? And keep your voice down! You're gonna wake up, come mine! What? Huh? No way that Chris Pratt is gonna play no Super Mario. Uncle Carmine, it's too late. They voiced the picture already. Consider it a locked ordeal. Oh, no. Jesus Christ. Hey, for the record, he's not my uncle, okay? What? He came with the place. I don't know. Whose uncle is he? I can't get into it right now. And you're putting these wicked Chris Pratt thoughts in his head. That Chris Pratt is a good boy. Mrs. Fazuli, with all due respect, he doesn't like the gays. Oh, and you would know that. You know he doesn't like the gays? For a fact? You know that? Well, I, I, uh... You read it in a newspaper or an academic periodical? My, he's got his sources, capiche? Cool it. Who? Mary Hart? 
talk about somebody not liking the gays and cool it? Jesu Cristo, why do you test me with this 44-year-old bambino who behaves this way? Ah. Ma, ma, you know I hate to see you cry. You're going to feel like a real horse's ass, Marcello Fazuli. Why? For not reminding you every day that I got the best goddamn mother on the face of this goddamn earth. Trauma. Damn you, Marcello. Here, read this. Just came in the mail. For you. What is it? It's a goddamn letter. Let him read it, you dumb son of a bitch. It's already open. What gives, Ma? Eh, the wind blew it open. Read it already. Well, it's from Hollywood. California. Dear Marcello, wanted to inform you... It is with tremendous responsibility that I play... Hamana, hamana, hamana. Years of researching this role, yada, yada, yada. Respect, yada, yada, yada. An Italian icon, 23 and me. Revealing that I am, in fact, 132nd Sicilian. Mr. Fazuli, as a pillar of the Italian American community, it would be an honor, furnished basement. You, your lovely mother, two guests of your choice. Nintendo Super Mario Brother movie. Signed, sincerely, Christopher Pratt. What does this all mean, Marcello? Guys, we're hosting a Hollywood, California premiere. Right here in this very furnished Basement. Hey. Raise a glass to Chris Pratt. To Chris, to Chris Pratt. Pratt. What? Chris Pratt. He no like the gays. No, no. He never play no Super Mario. Never. Go back to sleep, Carmine. It's okay. This Chris Pratt... He's good people. Uh, okay. Monsters do have their place. In the zoo. In your nightmares. In the deep. In your favorite horror movies. But not in your living room, on your TV. Don't let pay TV be the monster in your living room. Pay TV and cable TV companies are seeking the right to charge you for the very programs you now get free. If you want to stop pay TV and save free television, sign the petition in the lobby of this theater. Let your lawmakers know how you feel in the fight against pay TV and cable TV.
so today we're going to talk about uh, the Rolling Stones documentary, Gimme Shelter, which was directed by the Maisels. And um, as Jason mentioned, I, uh, uh, I guess they gave credit to Charlotte Zwerin, who's pro- I'm guessing was maybe one of the camera people at the festival itself. Yeah, that was my theory. I didn't, you know, do 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 the dil- do due diligence and look it up. But I, I remember um, hearing that they had done that in other cases where somebody shot a lot of the stuff and they thought, oh well, you know, you directed, so you're going to be part of the credits on that. Yeah, and like we mentioned before, we started recording that you know the only two. I've only seen two. I think Jason's seen a few. I don't know about Gabe if you've seen any of the other movies like Great Gardens. I, I don't think I don't think I have. I think this is my first uh, Maisel movie. Because I've seen Great Gardens and Salesman, and I have to say, they're both wonderful. I don't think I think um, Great Gardens has become like one of those things like, oh, everyone else found out about it. Now it belongs to them. Because there is that cut. Because, you know, I remember at some point, only some people have seen it, but then, like, Drew Barrymore. And I was like, I don't, I'm attaching myself to this, you know. <laughs> the Hollywood glitterati has uh, surrounded it. But, um, yeah, they're both, like, that and Salesman, they're both very depressing movies. But they're also really fun to watch. Salesman, really depressing. <laughs> yeah, and... Um... I remember because I, um, I I won't say I went to film school, but I studied films in school, and um, I took a class on documentary filmmaking, and um, I believe Salesman was the first thing they showed. It was kind of like, hey, do you want to know what a documentary is? Watch this because it's it's like um, it's a way to illustrate that thing where the um, the person behind the camera is is silent. And so it's like it's like that cinema verite where you're just seeing the the players in it, um, and then and then you can go back and say, well, even though the filmmaker isn't giving you uh, any context, like with a voiceover or anything like that, they're making so many decisions with the editing and what they're choosing to show you that 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 is shaping this like quote unquote you know reality that you're seeing. Rather than like, which is pretty popular now. I mean, you know, this is kind of the uh, junk era of documentaries in the '80s, like late '80s. That was called the junk era of baseball cards. Now, because they were just producing tons of them, and like, <laughs> like people my age were like, "Oh man, that one Edgar Martinez card," and you know which one it is. So I mean, like, they're just producing documentary after documentary, varying quality, but. A lot of the new documentaries, the documentarian puts him or herself as a subject, which I hate completely. I don't know if you're like me, but you grew up reading Hagar the Horrible. It's like, oh, we don't care about your journey. I think the worst instance I've ever seen of that is the Paul Williams documentary. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, is it really about Paul Williams or this guy that just won't leave him alone? <laughs> you know, you, you, you decide. <laughs> yeah. So let's go down the line. So Gabe, thoughts on the, uh, give me shelter. Um, so I actually had no idea what this movie was, this documentary was about. 
I, I, I just, I've seen it on the shelf a million times and I was like, you know, like, oh, okay, it's like a Rolling Stones documentary. I, I assumed it was just concert footage, but as soon as it started and they were, started talking about Altamont, like, the before, basically, I was like, oh, shit, is this what I think it is? Um, and I, I just want to say to people who are listening, like, if you haven't already seen this uh, and you're going to probably watch it on our recommendation, maybe, like, it's... This is probably the heaviest movie that we've had on the show. Uh, it's a uh, yeah. Just know that like y- you don't really see any of the violence take place, but you do see like the Hell's Angels bring down their pull cues, and like that's definitely hitting somebody very hard. <laughs> and it's it it's it's a little that's disturbing for sure. But um, no, this was. I mean, it it is fascinating it, because like. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't really know that much about Altamont other than that it was a Rolling Stones document, uh, Rolling Stones concert that they were going to try to pull, and somebody had the great idea of hiring Hell's Angels as security, which was the worst idea in the world. Yeah, I, I would say it's it's heavier than um, what was that animated film we watched that was basically like. Like, like, which was also, which was also great, but you know, our audience can handle some heaviness. I know this, this is a comedy show, but you know, we, we could talk about this. We could talk about the serious stuff, but it is good to give a, give a little warning. I, I feel, feel like back then, like motorcycle gangs and stuff like that, they were kind of seemed as like folk heroes or like, you know, like they were, they were free, like, and uh, maybe we didn't know that much about like what actually went on so everybody was just like oh yeah these like you know these cool dudes who decided to forge their own path we can get them to do the security at our concert well i i do i mean i do think that um we have an idea of what these guys were like a little more in the rearview mirror i think that their rep they did have a reputation then but i think that they probably in in their minds the rolling stones or whoever part of their management that reached out to them, they were probably thinking, well, these guys are like about the hippie lifestyle about they're, they're not, they're not the police, you know, they're, but they're like, they're allegedly these tough dudes. So they probably thought this is probably better than contacting like the, the, you know, some Bay area, uh, police force and bringing them down. I, I think that like, there, you know, the motor motorcycle gang culture was certainly a thing, but I don't think we knew the extent of like the kind of the violence that was to come in this part of the show. I might be way off base with that, but I think I think I think history is kind of like we no, we now know like oh yeah that was a fucking horrible idea, you know. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't want to go like too too far off the the path with this, but. I was reading this pretty recently. Um, I think earlier in the, that the same year, in uh, six, January of '69 or somewhere around then, um, the, the Hell's Angels were in London, and um, they they were like, "Hey, man, we know we know uh, George Harrison, man." So that so so they so they went to the Apple offices where the the Beatles had set set up, 
you know, not not too long before. And like, yeah, man, do you know a place where we could stay and like get some cash so we could like, you know. And so George was, I think, maybe into the idea of like, oh, these guys are cool and I can meet them. Then he got to hang out with them for like an hour and he just was nowhere to be found again. And he just told the people at the you know Apple offices like, just make them go away because they were just trying to sleep in the building and stuff. And then he just kind of just like, just make sure they go away. And he, he didn't show up till they were gone. The scene in um, the Ruddles, well, I think it's, it's in Ronnie Wood, who's like a motorcycle guy or something. I think they mentioned that. I didn't know what that was till now. That's cool. Yeah, they they were they were there for a while. And it was like a problem, like like trying to get a guest you know, to leave or <laughs> like a part, like a party ended and there's people just like, when are they going to go home? Jason, what are, you, what are your like first thoughts on give me shelter? Give, give me shelter as I call it. Um, yeah. So I've seen this a handful of times. I saw it probably in high school first and then revisited it. This might've been three or four, I'm guessing times I've seen it. And um, the one thing I thought of, today um on this i finished watching it today so uh the one thing i thought of today is that you couldn't this is you know the old like you couldn't do that no but a band would never allow this kind of access and this kind of um you know the the event that happens in the film this would just not come out. The band would say, oh, we don't really want to be associated with this. Please destroy all the footage. Um, and I was thinking about that, too, because, uh, again, talking about the Beatles, the next year, um, they, the, the film Let It Be came out, which, you know, nothing catastrophic happens in it. But I guess at the time, all four guys in the band didn't like the movie. They didn't like how they came across and they didn't like what was selected to be included. But it was just the power of the filmmaker um, at that time was, was like, well, I'm the filmmaker. This is you know, You signed up for this. I think now you, you wouldn't really you wouldn't really be able to see this film. It would it just would not have come out. I, I don't because, you know, you at the end of the film, you see a concert that's just evolving into chaos and you're watching the band helpless kind of pleading, you know, to stop the violence. And, and then, then you, you know, you watch them watch themselves. And then as the, as the audience, you're looking at their, ex, your, their expressions and you're putting a lot onto, well, why did he move his, why did he move his eyebrows like that at that point? And, and are they even watching what we're watching too? I have a question for you guys. Now this guy, he did Woodstock and um, he did Woodstock, the 90s one too. It was by Michael Lang. He was in there. He, I don't know a lot about him. I, I don't know if, I think he might've passed away recently, not too long ago, but he does seem a little skeezy. Am I right in thinking that? Uh, it, It's uh. When I saw Michael Lang in this documentary, uh, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because have you seen, have either of you two seen the Woodstock 99 documentary on Netflix? Like, oh man, to be associated with two complete disasters like that. Uh, and like, 
It, it was fascinating in the Woodstock 99 to know that he had no idea what was going on all three days. But he was just so nonchalant. He was not just not a responsible man to me. <laughs> I don't mean to speak ill of this man, but I mean, he's just like, whatever happens, happens. And he just kind of just runs away after really terrible things happen. It's it's fascinating. Another couple characters on, while we're on Michael Lang, I just wanted to bring up... Um, I just want to get you guys thoughts about the scenes with the uh, lawyer who has the bird cage in his office. <laughs> I was trying to, I, 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 I don't know how to unpack that because at first he's, he seems like, well, I haven't even met any of these people, but then he seems like he's totally speaking on their behalf for everything, you know, like that, if they made a, a film about Altamont, like a, a I would just love to see who, how that role is played, you know, and who's going to, who's going to jump in on that part. Um, the other guy I wanted to bring up and I know his name, he was a somewhat of the stones manager, I think at the time. And then he also managed the dead was um, Sam Cutler. And he's a guy uh, you see throughout the movie. He's a English guy, kind of long hair mustache. I think he's wearing a leather jacket, like a brown leather jacket the whole time. And, Every scene, he has to be the guy who's like, all right, get the fuck off of those. <laughs> you know, he always is like, and he just always just seems so exasperated. And he's just screaming at these kids for just, you know, don't sit on that. Get get the fuck off the stage. Don't. I was, I was going to say, can you imagine? So the Rolling Stones say, hey, they call up the Maisel's brothers and they say, hey, guys, um, we're going to go on this tour. We haven't been playing live for a while. We're going to go. We're, this is our first big tour. Um, man, the, six, the 60s for us ended in a real bummer. You know, our one of our guys, we kicked out of the band and he dies <laughs> right away. But we're going to go on this tour. We're going to play Madison Square Garden. All along the tour, we're going to go down to the American South and record at Muscle Shoals. And then this film, we, we envision culminating in this beautiful free concert in San Francisco. What do you think? And then, you know, we get this completely different movie that even though there are some moments in it that are cool performances and whatnot, but there is a darkness that hangs over the whole thing because of the way it, it's, um, you, you know, you know how it's going to end because of, the way it's cut, like they, they show you basically like something horrible is going to happen by the end of this movie. I think I busted a button on my trousers, hope they don't fall down. You don't want my trousers to fall down now, do you? Here we are again. Another show wrapped up in front of the warm fire and I just have one question for you two. What did we learn today? Well, I learned something. We were talking about documentary filmmaking earlier today. And um, this just struck me like a, a lightning bolt. I was watching TV and I saw this commercial that I've, I've probably seen about a half dozen times already. It's a, it's a commercial for the restaurant Chipotle. And in the commercial, there's a young lady. She's 
maybe stirring some guacamole with a big spoon. And there's a guy off camera going, um, oh, so like, what are you doing right now? She's like, oh, I'm making the guacamole. And the guy says, so is this, is this like a, you can make this fresh every day? I don't, I don't know exactly the, it's, it's very innocuous talk, but this off camera guy is asking me these questions. And I went, that voice sounds so familiar. The guy off camera. And just the way he's asking these probing, thoughtful questions about the guacamole. Who the fuck is this? <laughs> so I, I just took a stab at it. I said, is this Errol Morris talking Errol off camera? And sure enough, I look it up. Errol Morris directs Chipotle commercials. Hey, man. There you go. If you want to see these, you want to see him go a, on YouTube. That was a win, though. That was a win, like, guessing that. Yeah. I learned that. I learned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned that uh, there's a different way to play Family Feud if you're an audience at home. Ooh. Would you like me to elaborate? Yes, please. Yeah. So, uh, if you never notice on Family Feud, they never actually write down the subject of the category on screen. So it's Steve Harvey saying it, right? Mm -hmm. So this is this is how you can play it at home in a different way. It. If you put it on mute, and then if you just look at the categories popping up, and you, and then <laughs> you you, guess. you and your friends guess what the prompt is. <laughs> I love that. So you know you'll see like you know like refrigerator. It's like okay maybe it's like appliances, and then you would see like like computers like things in a house. <laughs> That's what I got. That's that, what I learned. I um didn't learn anything, but. I think um, what I did was make a discovery. You know, like how it's kind of funny for people to say, um, oh, birds are fake and they're spying on us and stuff. Like, I might have not have started the trend, but I made that joke up years ago on my own. So in a way, I invented it. And you could say that. Like, oh, this thing everyone does, I invented it without even having any background knowledge. Um, this is not caught on the public. But sometimes it's uh, funny to tell people, uh, you know, there's probably an eyeball looking at you in your shower head. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, other things <laughs> other things I invented right. before. Uh, that new Kids in the Block haircut. I thought, like, what if someone had a haircut like that? Sure enough, <laughs> a year later, all the new Kids in the Block were having that. There are other things, too. But I also don't think that's funny. Like, everyone's saying it. Like, everyone says the same joke. Like, what is that? You want to be in a club? <laughs> My advice, uh, a lot of people come up to me, a lot of kids, uh, who was it today? It was at the, um, you guys ever hear of a store called uh, Petco? Yeah. I was there. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at just like, like visiting the animals there. And a kid came up to me and says, excuse me, mister, because he's a little, how do you become a comedian? I'm like, I'm not anyone I know. And I said, well, you be original, be original. Sent him on his way. And that kid grew up to be Howie, <laughs> Howie Mandela. Mandela. <laughs> The great civil rights leader of South Africa. The specials did a song about him, so you know that's got to be pretty big. Free Howie Mandela. <laughs> and then the uh, character Bobby does a rap. Oh my god. <laughs> oh no. Can someone do a Bobby's voice? Out of, out of the three of us? It? No. No, I yeah. can't do that. It's also Skeeter's voice from the Muppet Babies. Well, 
Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Was that? Hey, I'm Bobby. All right, everybody. That's our show. Good night. How would you describe Chipotle food? You could taste the difference. It's fresh. I don't think people realize that every morning we come in at 6 a.m. to prep the food for the day. Every day? Every single day. Okay. <laughs> so we have our nice uh, guac smasher here. That's the guac smasher? <laughs> the guac smasher.